Hi, this is Nathan Owens from the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse in Antigua. Every Tuesday evening at 7.30, we have a live call-in program discussing real-life issues from the Caribbean. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. You're listening to That's Truth, a live call-in program with Dr. David Murphy, designed to answer your questions biblically in this confusing culture. Dr. Murphy has over 30 years of counseling and ministry experience here in the Caribbean and is ready to answer your questions according to truth. Good evening and welcome to another exciting episode of That's Truth. I'm glad that you've taken time out of your busy schedule to join us. I'm Nathan Owens and I'm sitting across the desk from Pastor David Murphy. Good evening, Pastor. Good evening, Brother Nathan, and good evening those who are listening this evening. Do you have a topic that you would like us to cover here on That's Truth? We would love to hear your input and we'll prepare a week and cover that particular topic. So please share your thoughts with us. You can do that via WhatsApp or text, or you can do it when you call in. Pastor, I have a video clip or the audio from a clip that I'd like to play here this evening. And the clip is talking specifically about America but and democracy. But let's think of it in a bigger picture, the democracies in the Western Hemisphere, and I think we can make a very strong application. I'd like to get your feedback from the video clip after we listen to the audio. Some time ago, I had a conversation with a Marxist economist from China. He was coming to the end of a Fulbright Fellowship here in Boston, and I asked him if he had learned anything that was surprising or unexpected. And without any hesitation, he said, yeah, I had no idea how critical religion is to the functioning of democracy. The reason why democracy works, he said, is not because the government was designed to oversee what everybody does, but rather democracy works because most people, most of the time, voluntarily choose to obey the law. And in your past, most Americans attended a church or a synagogue every week, and they were taught there by people who they respected. My friend went on to say that Americans followed these rules because they had come to believe that they weren't just accountable to society, they were accountable to God. My Chinese friend heightened a vague but nagging concern I've harbored inside that as religion loses its influence over the lives of Americans, What will happen to our democracy? Where are the institutions that are going to teach the next generation of Americans that they too need to voluntarily choose to obey the laws? Because if you take away religion, you can't hire enough police. What do you think, Pastor? Is religion really that integral to Western democracies and Western governments as we know it? Well, I, I think if you look at what is currently happening, uh, whether in the U.S. or the breakdown in the Europe, what is even happening in the Caribbean, I think most people that have any sense of history would pretty much tell you that we are seeing society disintegrate. 
we've lost our concept of morals. The family is broken down, home is broken down, uh, teenage pregnancy, drugs, uh, violence. This is what happens when a nation goes away from God or society goes away from God. And all the king's horse and all the king's men can't seem to put Humpty together again because it cannot be done by man. I was trying to remember a quote as well. I think it was George Washington uh, who said that democracy was meant for a moral and a spiritual people. It cannot survive without morality and spirituality. And, I mean, these are people who really understood that. In our day... uh, we pretty much have done away with the church. Uh, people don't send their children to Sunday school. Uh, religion is a minor subject in most schools. Uh, and I think as a result, we are seeing this steady deterioration. So I think that history of not only um, what is happening in Europe, what is happening in America, but clearly what is also happening in the Caribbean region, as we've moved away from God, move away from religion, we've lost our moral clout and moral authority and therefore we don't know, seem to know what is right and what is wrong, every man now does what is right in his own sight, until we can rebuild the moral base of our country the moral base of the Caribbean and that moral base cannot be built on anything substantial apart from God morality and God are linked together because morality has to do with right and wrong if you don't have a God you have no standard but isn't that just your perspective as a Christian preacher? Well, there's only one perspective that's correct. That's the biblical perspective. Whether it's mine or not, um, it's the biblical perspective. And I would remind you that God gave us a manual. He gave us a book. He has given us the blueprint what will work. That's why we were given the, the Ten Commandments. That's why we were given the moral, moral law. He understood that no society can operate uh, successfully apart from morality. So we can ignore that to our detriment. Or we can embrace that and then start start to reinstill values uh, in our children. Uh, this comes back to the school, uh, the whole idea of value clarification. Again, value clarification is that you're not telling the child that this is right, this is wrong. He has to make up his mind what is right and what is wrong. To my mind, this is the dereliction of the duty of adults. This is the first time adults are leaving children to make up their own minds as far as what is right and what is wrong. And it's like children becoming the the parent, basically. Uh, every generation uh, has always felt that the wisdom resided in the senior person, the adult person. There was always respect for the elderly because of the knowledge and the wisdom and the experience. But now we seem to be living in an age where we have lost that concept. And we seem to think that wisdom is now embodied in young minds who ha- lack experience. And I think we are going to pay an awful price until, unless we can rein this thing back in and come back to the biblical standard. But would that not be a sign of an advanced uh, civilization to be able to think outside of the box of how the, we used to always think it was the elderly that had wisdom and now we're letting everyone have an opportunity to lead? Well, wisdom comes from experience, to be very honest with you. I mean, it's not just a matter of reading in books. There are things that you cannot learn and you will never understand until you've been through those experiences. So while the, uh, the young generation might have a lot of book knowledge, they are knowledgeable in technology, knowledgeable in science, but they are uh, really, really deficient in terms of what is moral, what is right, and, uh, and, and in terms of interpersonal relationships, etc. That comes from adult wisdom that has to be imparted. This will be the first generation that seemed to have surrendered that and pretty much left the youth on their own without giving them spiritual guidance or moral guidance. Over the last two weeks, we've been discussing the New Age movement and its push for relative truth. Would you 
say that that in itself is uh, degrading the basis of governments and democracy going along with what the video, the audio clip that we listened to was saying? Yeah, but don't remember, don't forget that last time we talked about uh, um, Marilyn McPherson, who uh, told us about the what is called the Aquarian Conspiracy. And basically what she was saying in that book, um, Ferguson, sorry, what's her name? What she was saying in that book is that there are agencies at work, individuals, organizations, that are trying to spread this New Age ideology, and they've infiltrated the sciences, they've infiltrated the educational system, they've infiltrated government. So she's basically saying that this thing is being worked in a, not only in an um, open way, but in a very subtle way. And, of course, part of that, their belief is that there are no absolutes. Now, when you say there's no absolute, that is an oxymoron in itself because you're saying, to make that statement, you're saying that that's, a, that's an absolute statement in itself, so it doesn't make any sense. But, again, once you have the idea that there's no absolute, nothing is right or wrong, everything is dependent on the circumstances, or whether you're a, a pragmatist, that what works is what is right, uh, it is very, very hard to control the morality of young people much less elderly people, unless you teach them some standard and give them some stand, some objective standard, you cannot have morality that is going to be uh, effective in terms of curtailing the desires. Because the problem with man is his really sinful desires. The Bible talks about that, his lust, his desires. And it's the scriptural and the biblical uh, constraints that put um, controls on that. Without um, some standard, I see it very impossible uh, to bring people to any any norms as to what should be the standard of morals of society. That's why we got the breakdown on, in terms of, for example, what is marriage now? And the breakdown is, is homosexuality right or wrong? I mean, those are questions that, I mean, whether we change that or not is immaterial. The book says it is wrong, and when God says it is wrong, it is wrong. It doesn't matter who endorses it. doesn't matter who legalizes it. If God says an abomination, it's an abomination, and nothing can change that. So we're playing, we're playing uh, games um, with the morality of a country. And I don't know where we will be able to stop once we've opened that door. Where do you draw a line? What is right and what is wrong? Who decides that now? And that's the confusion the West has found itself in. It used to be based on a biblical base. Now the base is gone and the whole superstructure is collapsing. And they're trying to replace that with something. The New Age movement has come in in that realm. Uh, so you've gone away from God, gone away from the Bible. But something has to fill that void, and that's where the New Age movement is beginning to fill that void. You mentioned uh, whether or not homosexuality is wrong. I was recently talking to my brother, who is a missionary in Papua New Guinea, and he was sharing with me, or I asked him, the village that he lives in, very remote, no electricity, no running water. Most of the world would consider it a very uh, primitive primitive. And I asked him, I said, what is their perspective on homosexuality? And he said, when they hear what the Western world and the rest of the world is saying about that we should welcome homosexuality, they say that is so backwards. That is, it's, and this is an animistic society. They're not Christians, but they are saying that's just, it's, it's not what we're made for. And for them, this primitive 
community to be saying that about these so-called developed nations is a huge rebuke in my mind. Yeah. But that gives you an idea. Look, God has uh, created it with certain instincts in ourselves. I was in the hospital uh, this week to visit to um, one of our members who was ill. And I saw a gentleman, I could not believe it, but he's a doctor. And he is prancing like a lady. I, I was so totally embarrassed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I just, it was so repulsive to everything within me that that was a display. And it's, there's no shame, no embarrassment uh, about it at all. But instinctively, every true man, when he sees a man that acts like a woman, there's something in him that repulses Instinctively, when any uh, woman begins to act like a man, instinctively there's something repulsive because that's how God has programmed us. We can't help feeling that the man should be a man and the woman should be a woman, and 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 that's that's why these primitive societies have got this. The Bible called the law of God written in their conscience, in their heart. Romans right? one, Romans chapter one. Right. That's why everybody knows right from wrong. God has pre-programmed us to know what is right from wrong. We don't have to tell somebody that stealing is wrong or lying is wrong. We instinctively know that because God has written it in our hearts. It's a tragedy that the Western world has become so depraved. And those primitive countries that uh, would have thought that we would be the light, uh, they are totally embarrassed. That It is like light has become darkness, darkness has become light. And truth has become error, error has become truth. We've got this moral inversion that um, is, is just mystifying how we got here. But we know how we got here. It has to do with a departure from God, departure from Scripture. And when you depart from God and Scripture, what are you left with in terms of moral capital? You don't have that any longer. And you're going to find that society deteriorating. And there's nothing we can do unless we bring people back to God, rebuild the family. If I was a a politician, my main priority would be to rebuild the home and the family. What can I do to rebuild the home and the family? That is how I would change, try to change society. It's not by giving handouts, it's not by even giving financial aid, even though that is needed. The rebuilding of the home and rebuilding the family will begin to change the whole structure of society. You think that's more important than creating jobs? Oh, of course. What's the use of creating jobs? And There's nothing wrong with creating jobs, don't misunderstand yeah. me. But to my mind, the key thing is to rebuild the family and rebuild the home. Because even if you got seven people in the home and all of them got jobs, but there's no relationship, the whole uh, morality, uh, drugs, all of that, what has that done other than maybe improve the person materially? And uh, etc. But in terms of the what makes a society strong is the moral fabric of the people, and if that deteriorates and and collapses, is it just money we're after? Is that how, how do we judge a person just by what he has, the home that he has, the car that he has, or is it more important to build character in a person? In my judgment, character is far more important. You're listening to That's Truth. The voice that you're hearing teaching is that of Pastor Dr. David Murphy, the pastor of Grace Baptist Church in Antigua. Do you have a question? We would love to hear it and answer it from God's Word. Do you have a topic that you would like covered on a future episode of That's Truth? We would love to hear your suggestion. You can call, and the phone number to call and be put live on the air is one 268 Four six two seventy four twenty. You can also WhatsApp or text your question, and that phone number is one two six eight seven eight two one four five four.
Have you invited someone else to listen to That's Truth recently? If you haven't, go ahead, pull out your phone. It's only 747. means we still have an hour and 15 minutes left on the program. And send them a WhatsApp or a text and say, hey, listen, CRL, or Broadcasting on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, is That's Truth. Tune in and listen. I just realized that I'd encouraged you to join us on Facebook Live, but I didn't tell you how to get there. If you look up Caribbean Radio Lighthouse on Facebook and then look in the news feed of the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, you will see the live video. Now, the last two weeks, we've been discussing the New Age movement, and we've covered some areas in depth, and then we've kind of just browsed over other areas. And we're going to spend one more week maybe covering some other things too, but covering the uh, the doctrines of the New Age movement. How do they compare to the fundamental doctrines of Christianity so that you will be prepared to... Uh, filter through any New Age thoughts and compare it to Scripture. We've been doing this with all of the religions or the cults that we've been discussing over the last several months, comparing them to the doctrines of Scripture. So, Pastor, let's start with the doctrine of God, or maybe if you want to be more specific, the doctrine of Christ. Let's um, deal with God separately and then deal with Christ, because we talk God the Father and then in Christ. Um, I want to quote directly from some of the writings so that nobody would think that we're misrepresenting what they really believe. Uh, so let me um, give you an idea of what they say about, about God. They say that God is not an individual, but an energy just swallowed. That is a unified whole. Uh, and uh, a pyramid of intellectual, of, of interrelated, ever-expanding consciousness and then it goes on to say, the absolute, ever-expanding, instantaneous, psychic gestalt is so secure in its existence that it can constantly break itself down and rebuild itself. Uh, in a sense, there is no such thing as God. God does not exist. And in another sense, there is nothing else but God. Only God exists. All is God. And because all is God, there is no God. <laughs> now, I've never heard so I got much lost. gibberish. <laughs> So much uh, gobbledygook, so much poppycock uh, than that. But again, this is a language that is designed to mesmerize people, to make people, especially those that are gullible, uh, to uh, use jargon and terms that seem to be somehow mystical and somehow uh, esoteric in its meaning, when in truth and fact, all of the saying basically there that everything is God and God is everything. See, uh, but this is the new age um, trickery of trying to mystify its, its beliefs so as to impress minds that are gullible that they have something superior and that they have a knowledge. Remember, we talked about Gnosticism that has a Gnostic aspect to it. Remember, the Gnostics believe that there's a secret knowledge that you must join us to get the secret knowledge. The New Age movement is virtually like that. Uh, Christianity is too simple. What you need is something more esoteric, more complex, more erudite. And therefore, you need to come in and, they, and then they give you all of this terminology. But what it all boils down, boils down to the same thing, uh, that all is one, one is God, and everybody is God, and God is everybody, basically. It's just a lot of jargon, basically. Pastor, we have a caller calling from Bendles 
Antigua, thank you for calling, and go ahead with your question. Good evening to the program. Good evening, sir. Good evening. Nice program. Um, but uh, Murphy, I have a question. I'd like you to clarify for me, please. Sure. Uh, Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 32. Uh-huh. I believe it was 9 to 14. And Talking old. about when Moses go up on the mountain and it's from long and when they really go look up. Uh-huh. And when God destroyed it, God can destroy the people and them and Moses talked to him and then he repented. Thank God. I want you to clarify that one, please. So and and next question from Revelation chapter eleven. What's that? Revelation. Uh huh. Chapter eleven. Uh huh. Verse eight, eight and nine. Eight and nine. I would like some clarification on that, please. Um, can you tell me in terms of um, the Exodus chapter thirty-two? Um, what specifically you you need clarification on? Is it the what really happened or, or, or what? Um, yeah, and when when you talk about when Jesus. God repented from what he are going to do. Why the Moses treated with him and then... Oh, okay. Well, in the case of Exodus chapter 32, if I recall uh, correctly, uh, Moses is in the mountain, um, and when he comes down, he finds the people uh, worshipping and false gods. They had built a, uh, a, a bull, claiming that the bull was the one that delivered them from Egypt. Remember that Egypt, Israel was in Egypt for over 430 years. Yeah. And during that period of time, they would have seen the bull worship of the bull god there in, in, in Egypt. And that had made an impression upon them. And they came out of Egypt. And now that it, it, the problem that they've always had is serving some kind of an invisible god. Uh, remember, God said not to make any image. So all the other nations of the world had some kind of an image of God, some kind of a, whether it be Dagon, the fish god, uh, or whether it be Astaroth or Baal, the phalanx, uh, phallus god. Um, there was some object to worship, but Jehovah insisted that, you know, he was not to be made in either the shape of a man or a creature, etc. So that's been the problem that Israel has had. All these other nations have got some material God that they can look to, but here uh, they don't have any visible God because God is invisible. And they became attracted to the God in Egypt, and therefore they were applying the 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 concept of Jehovah to this bull God and saying it's this, this, uh, this bull. Um, calf that had actually led them out. This is just an Egyptian god that they're now subsuming, or subsuming under um, Jehovah. Now, of course, when Moses came down, he was upset, and um, he took the calf and he ground it and he put it in water and asked him to drink it. He's in his anger, and 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 God's anger is against the people, and His wrath becomes support in His people. And um, God, Moses intercedes, he becomes a mediator between his people and God, and he pleads with God not to destroy the people. And the Bible says that God repented. What that means is that God changed his mind. Now, there's nothing, God always changes his mind depending on how we respond. Uh, God's, God is, uh, is said that he put his wrath on man. But in the counsel of God, that wrath can be averted if man repents and man turns away. So when a man uh, turns away uh, and changes his mind, then God um, 
God um, his attitude towards that person changes. So Moses is playing the intercessory role here. And he pleads to God and said, you know, you can't destroy these people. These are the people you brought out of Egypt. And while he prays to God and asks God to, to preserve his people, God responds to Moses' prayer, and God withholds his wrath against uh, his people. He does the same thing today, by the way. Uh, we can avert wrath uh, that is due to others by praying for them. You remember the same thing happened in uh, Abraham with Lot. Yeah, yeah. When he said, you know, Lord, would you destroy them for 50? And then it went down to 10. Uh, but there is the intercessory road of the believer that we can hold the hand of God and pray and intercede and God would answer our prayer and, and save those that uh, our, our punishment is due. I would say this to you. I believe that the reason why God hasn't judged um, America, for example, which has killed over 51 million aborted babies since 1974. Remember, I said 51 million babies have been born yeah, in America. Yeah. The only reason I believe that God hasn't poured out this judgment yet is because there are a lot of righteous people in America, and, and God withholds his judgment because of the righteous. I think the same thing in Antigua. I think the same thing in the Caribbean. That uh, our societies are, are due God's wrath, but God's people are among the wicked, and God restrains and withholds his judgment because of the righteous. So here's God changing his mind about destroying his people because a person intercedes, and God hears Moses' prayer and withholds his hand of judgment. It still happens today. Remember also in um, Nineveh, where Jonah presents a message saying in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed. That was God's determined decision. That was God's decision. He would destroy Nineveh. But when the people repented, God changed his mind. And Amen. God withheld his judgment. So the, God always, we deserve wrath. No question about that. Man deserves wrath. But when man changes or a person intercedes, uh, God can withhold his judgment and delay his judgment because of either intercessory prayer or a repentance, repentance on the part of those to whom God's judgment um, it will fall. Does that help there? Yeah, very much. Yeah. Now, Revelation chapter 11, um, I need to turn there. What, 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 what is that about? I'm, I, I'm trying You're to talking about the bones of, of the enemies, the bones of Joseph. I can read it here. Read, read it, read it. Yeah, uh, Revelation 11, verse 8 says, And their dead bodies shall lie in the street of the great city which spiritually is called Sodom in Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And verse 9 says, And they of the people and the kindreds and the tongues and the nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half and shall not suffer their dead bodies to be put in the graves. Well, this has to do with uh, what will take place during the tribulation period. Seven years of divine wrath. The Bible calls it the time of Jacob's trouble. Christ said there will never be a time, or has ever been a time, that will be like this. This is when God will pour his wrath on planet Earth. And that has to do with the two witnesses that God will raise up at that time uh, to speak to the nations and speak to the world. Uh, the, fun, the fascinating thing about that passage, by the way, 
is that the enemy will have those two men slain, their bodies would lie in the streets. And then the Bible says the whole world would see their bodies rise up from, from, the, from, uh, from the dead. Could I say to you that it could not have been, this could never have happened except in modern times. This is where te technology and television and uh, telecommunications, we can watch on our television today exactly what is going on in Israel uh, exactly at this specific time. So yeah. this is telling us very clearly how close we are to midnight in terms of the Lord's return because this would have been impossible um, almost uh, 70 years ago. Totally impossible for that to happen, that we can actually see what takes place. So this has to do with the two prophets that are going to be killed uh, during the tribulation period, but God will raise their bodies from the dead. But when their bodies are raised from the dead, the whole world will see their bodies raised. But not only that, the, 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 the nations and the people of the world will send messages congratulating the, the beast that he has killed these two witnesses for God. It gives you an idea of how evil the world would be and in spite of God bringing two witnesses that will call down fire from heaven if you read the passage and perform functions as those as Moses and Elijah did, yet the whole world will be elated when these two witnesses are, are, are killed by the Antichrist. So this has to do with something as yet futuristic but it also says to us that it is well within the technology of our times and clearly saying to us uh, this is very very near we know this can really happen 70 years ago generation that there probably would not have been able to uh, witness what we can witness today so this is a bible prophecy talking about the end times having to do with the two witnesses that will be raised up during the tribulation period to speak on the behalf of god but who will be killed by the antichrist but we were raised by God, and the whole world would watch their bodies rise up uh, through the telecommunication system that we have, a satellite system we have, will actually witness this. But it will not affect them in the sense that it's not a positive effect, that they repent and turn away from their sins. They congratulate the Antichrist for destroying the witnesses uh, of, of, of God. It's like people hating the gospel today, people hating Christians, telling them that this is right or this is wrong. Uh, there's an antipathy growing against the church and against Christian people when we talk about the breakdown of morality and we say that homosexuality is wrong, same-sex marriage is wrong, lesbianism is wrong, transgenderism is wrong. We're coming to a point now where the world is going to hate us for taking a Christian witness and bringing it to the world. That's exactly what happened there in that passage. They'll witness for God, but he'll be killed by the Antichrist, and the whole world will be elated that this was done. Does that answer your question? Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome, sir. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your calls. Appreciate it very much. Have a good night. Uh, Pastor, we were... You were defining what the New Age movement teaches about the doctrine of God, and that God, they say, God is all, and all is God. How does that compare to Scripture? Well, Scripture makes a distinction between God and His creation. Um, God creates the material world. God is not part of the material world. Uh, God is transcendent, but God is eminent in the sense that God didn't leave His world uh, just like the uh, the 
Unitarians believe that God created the world and sent it out into space, but he is in heaven somewhere, transcendent, but he has no concern about what is going on. He's left the laws of nature to control the world. That's not the biblical doctrine. God is transcendent above creation, but he's also eminent in creation in the sense that he's involved. He sustains what he's created. That's the biblical model. He but sustains, we, but he's not it. No, we've never never confused, uh, never in the Bible as you have confused the material world with with God, the two separate entities, uh, two separate uh, matters altogether, and uh, where you have the New Age movement, which is pantheism, Eastern pantheism, coming in from the Hindu belief that everything is God. That's by the way why you can have people starving in, in uh, India, but you can't touch touch the cows. I mean, you got more cows, I, I understand, than, than you got people, but you still can't kill the cow because the cow is sacred. See. It, it's, it's what I cannot understand why the West would embrace those Eastern ideas and those Eastern concepts. It, it puzzles me greatly when you look at the the uh, <coughs> the results of a Judeo-Christian base for the Western world, and the the civilization is developed, and then you look at what uh, India had with Hinduism and, and the poverty. And, and it, by the way, it's only when the gospel got there. There's a book written. Uh, I could probably give it you offline, an Indian guy who uh, talked about how the Bible changed India completely in, in terms of its thinking. So all the productivity and all the, ch- the change in terms of the te- technology and the, how India is now beginning to advance, a lot of that he credits with the idea of the Christian work ethic, the, the scientific base that was formed out of the Judeo-Christian uh, concept, that all the, fun- all the major scientists that laid the foundation for modern science were Christians, basically. Uh, he used that to show that uh, the development of modern India and how it's progressing, advancing technology, all, a lot of it is based on the fact that Christianity entered, changed the work ethic, changed the whole concept of the value of man, and also uh, let man know that um, God was different than his creation. And the idea, you need to find out the laws that govern creation because God was separate as a separate entity. But, but um, that is the... New Age movement when it comes to, to God. And if you, the language I used a moment ago, and I read what they, they said, it's a language that is designed to mesmerize people who are impressionable with language and, and uh, you know, I think that song, complex, and the simple truth of Scripture in the beginning, God. Uh, that is too simple for the sophisticated man that we're in uh, society today. We need something more esoteric. So we've got to put it and crouch it in language that seems mystical, and uh, it's only in, in impressing the so-called intellectuals. The average man is reading that and said, that's total confusion. In my judgment, that's gobbledygook. It, it, it's nothing there at all. It's just words, but no real substance. Um, it's just jargon, basically. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.05. You're listening to That's Truth on 1160 AM, 92.3 FM, And if you have family or friends anywhere in the world, if they've got internet, they can join and listen to the program at www.radiolighthouse.org. Pastor, what about the doctrine of Christ? I just want to deal with that. But they have a trinity, too. Okay. Uh, When I say a trinity, but they don't have the biblical trinity. Okay. And again, I want to read how they describe it. They said, eternal thought is one. In essence, it is two, intelligence and force. 
And when they breathe, a child is born, that child is called love. Now, again, you've got language that is so confusing. I am not too sure who thinks this is really highly intellectual stuff. In my mind, this is just uh, poppycock. There's nothing here of any substance. But the whole idea there, the Trinity, therefore, is intelligence, force, and love. That's the Trinity. And then it went on and said, and, and this, and thus the Trinity God stands forth, whom men call the father, the mother, and the child. So, the father is intelligence, the mother is, is a force, and the child is love. That is the trinity of the New Age movement. Now, if that isn't confusion, I don't know what it is. Why do people find it difficult to accept the very clear propositional truth in Scripture about God? And the, you, can do a, you can take a theological book and do the, the attributes of God and who God is. I mean, the Bible is very logical and very systematic. You come to this gobbledygook thing that is a mishmash of just words thrown together, uh, and there's no, nothing to substantiate it. These are just people inventing concepts that have no, no, no real reality. But again, remember that we mentioned that the New Age movement is not a matter of being intellect. Your intellect is the barrier to your higher consciousness. So it doesn't have to make sense. And that is what is confusing to us who still live in a world that is logic and order. That's why we have difficulty understanding the New Age movement. The intellect is a barrier to experiencing this higher consciousness. That's why you must empty your mind to get in contact with whatever force is out there. If this isn't um, confusion, I don't know what is. But that gives you an idea that they're using biblical terminology, but injecting it with different meanings. A, I mentioned several times on this program, with all the cults, it's a semantic game. They're using biblical terms, but they're defining them according to their belief system. Not So when you're dealing with a New Age person, he talks about God, he talks about Trinity. You have to have him define what he means. Otherwise, you think you're talking about two different things, but you're poles apart. That is part of the confusion of trying to deal with uh, these people. As far as Christ is concerned, um, they said that Christ is the basic evolutionary force within creation. Wow. Okay. Uh, they, they, as far as they're concerned, um, Christ is not a, a person. Uh, Christ is a, a force. Uh, they also, I want to quote whatever it said. It said, Jesus was an individual who himself had to recapitulate um, certain stages. He himself had to become awakened. He had to, in his consciousness, touch this Christ pattern. Now, again, I'm just quoting what they say. I'm reading this, and I'm saying we are now entering the, 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 the zone of idiocy. Inanity, because I'm reading it myself, uh, and I'm trying. To, I'm I'm confused what I'm reading. It's just language that is designed uh, to make you think it's highly intellectual, but it's confusing. And only those people who are impre uh, impressionable and who likes perhaps big terms and fancy language falls for this kind of jargon. But it's just a lot of uh, nonsense. Um, so, Christ is like an energy. Uh, a force, uh, but a, a con what they call a, a consciousness. He's not a person like the Bible portrays him to be. Uh, that is their concept about, about, about Christ. Um, they make a distinction between Jesus and Christ. Jesus uh, 
won Christhood by his strenuous effort and his discipline, you can also win Christhood by your effort and by your strenuous effort as well. So you can progress to be Christ, just like Jesus became Christ, you too can become Christ. That's the old idea of Christ consciousness. This is at odds with what the Bible teaches. Uh, John tells us that anyone that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is Antichrist, he's not of God. Jesus is Christ. It's just that Jesus is his, his name, Christ is his title. Uh, uh, the Bible makes sure that Jesus and Christ are the same person. In the New Age movement, Jesus is a man, but Christ is that higher consciousness that you arrive to, and when you arrive at that, you, you merge with that, so you receive what is called Christ consciousness. Um, Pulls apart from the biblical doctrine of Christ, that he is the second person in the Trinity, uh, that he is the God-man, both God and man at the same time. He's the Redeemer. Uh, but there's no confusion in the Bible between Jesus and Christ. They're the same person, uh, but one speaks of his manhood, one speaks of his deity. Uh, he's the God-man. Now, some of the cults and doc- religions that we had talked about, they would have a number of the doctrines pretty correct, but then they would go wayward on uh, maybe the Trinity or on Jesus Christ. But thus far, if I'm hearing you right, the New Age movement, when it comes to God, is completely counter-biblical. It comes to the Trinity, it's almost it's so wrong that it's almost comical. Uh, comes to Christ and comes to Jesus, they're wrong. So far, strikes uh, in every direction, they're not aligning with Bible at all. Yeah, this is aberrant, bizarre belief system. There's no connection between the New Age movement and biblical Christianity. Is it very prevalent? Well, what the New Age movement? Of course, the New Age movement is very because the, the New Age movement. I, I remind you again, this uh, especially people in in high places of like in government. A lot of people in the U.S. government are part of the New Age movement. There are a lot of people in the educational system are part of the New Age movement. Uh, as a matter of fact, there are some books in California. Um, that is uh, written by New Age persons that are being used in the public schools. In I mentioned um, um, last week, and I mentioned already, this idea of value clarification. The person that wrote that book that's being used, that was now been, it's been injected in the Caribbean as well, hmm. called value clarification. The person who wrote that is a person who is part of the New Age movement as well. The whole idea is to infiltrate every level of society to try to bring about this. Remember that they, they, they have a, just like we have a passion to preach Christ, they have a passion to bring about this this world consciousness. And they are fully convinced of the age of Aquarius is going to happen, and they're going to be part of the, uh, the, the means and the, the agency of bringing about this change. So they've got to infiltrate every area to bring about this, this what they call this, um, this higher consciousness in, in humanity. So that's what they're working for. But there's no connection between Christianity, even though they're using such words as Christ, such words as the Trinity, such words as God. Uh, again, it's a ploy that's being used to make you think they're dealing with the same entities, but they're dealing with completely different definitions altogether. Do you have a question for Pastor Murphy? Are you curious why the Bible says something or why the Bible doesn't say something? Give us a call here. You can be put live on the air by calling one 268 or you can send your question via WhatsApp or text message. Send it to 1-268-782-1620. 
1454. Again, WhatsApp or text your question to 1268-782-1454. Thank you for joining us tonight on That's Truth. We are continuing our discussion on the New Age movement, and we're discussing specifically the doctrines that are clearly taught in Scripture about God, and we're going to be moving on to some other doctrines. But how does the New Age movement line up with it? Yeah, let me quote, um, in connection with Christ, let me quote, make two other quotations, three. Um, It said, look to Christ within um, you who shall be formed in every one of us as he was formed in Jesus. Another quotation, Jesus was a pattern for the sons of men. He lived to show us the possibilities of man. Here's another one. What Jesus has done, all men can do. What he is, all men shall be. These are direct quotes from the New Age movement. So that gives you an assessment. Uh, So what what happened is saying that Jesus, by having reached this point where the Christ, he's found the Christ, this consciousness, that becomes a pattern for us to follow and everything he is we will we will become and everything he does we can do that is a teaching that's why uh the new age movement believe that within man basically man is a little god his problem is ignorant of who he is and his sin is that he needs to be enlightened and uh, come to this truth that ultimately he has a spark of divinity that he needs to stoke uh, so that it begins to live in the light of that new transformation of consciousness. What does the New Age movement teach about Earth or creation? Well, in terms of creation, creation is part of the one. Uh, They use a term called Gia, and it's almost as though creation is alive. Everything is connected. There is like one force uh, creation, man, God is one force. And that's, by the way, why we're headed to the point where we're almost going to start worshipping creation. And the idea of uh, the climate change movement, the idea of getting away from uh, eating, being stop being carnivores and become vegetarians, it's all part of that whole idea that we're all part of one thing. And we must respect the animals just as you respect human beings because they're of the same essence of the same substance. You mentioned climate change. Let me take us down a rabbit trail just a minute. A very practical question that has been posed to me recently, and I want to get your thoughts. There are some Christians out there who would say, oh, we were told to have dominion over the earth, mm-hmm. and so it doesn't matter at all about what we do to take care of the environment. And there are others out there, other people out there who are saying we need to uh, not collect any oil or burn any coal, do any fossil fuels. Where's the balance? What's the biblical balance? How do we strike that balance between worshiping the the creature rather than the creator and just being completely uh, just unwise with resources God's given? Well, the biblical balance is that man must see himself as a steward. He's not a lord, he's a steward, so he's going to be held accountable, and he is supposed to care for what God has given to him. Uh, We must not rape the earth and exploit the earth to the point where we pollute the earth and destroy the earth. Uh, We must use things responsibly. Uh, I have no doubt that there needs to be some curtailing of the exploitation of resources. I have no doubt about that. Uh, the problem that I am having is I think has gone to an extreme, a real, real extreme. 
the New Deal that is being uh, pushed by the Democratic Party in America. I mean, if you follow that New Deal, you've got to get rid of cows. I don't, I'm serious. You've got to get rid of cows. You've got to get rid of planes. You've got to get rid of cars. Uh, it is so ludicrous and so ridiculous. Uh, and, and by the way, the countries that need to curtail the level of pollution is not America. She's got her down below what it should be. Countries like India and China, which are the major world polluters, they get a free pass on this whole matter. Trump, President Trump was wise in my judgment of, of killing this um, this this um, climate change deal, whatever it was, uh, because it would have meant that America would have been pouring billions of dollars, paying out billions of dollars. China and and uh, India, the main polluters of the earth, did nothing. So I think he was right in that. It's the, the, the nations that are creating this massive problem that need to be want to be dispensing the resources, et cetera, et cetera. So I think he was right to pull out of it, in my judgment. Uh, I would have done the same thing. But what does the Bible say that we're supposed to be doing with creation? Are we not supposed to be taking advantage of what God's given us? We're supposed to have dominion in the sense that the Bible says uh, man rules the earth. But again, we are going to be held as stewards and responsible for how we exploit planet Earth or how we care planet Earth. The responsible thing for any government or any person is to use it discreetly and wisely and not exploit and destroy uh, by pollution and so on and so forth. I remember when I was in, I think it was in the 70s, they had such things as um, toxic rain. I remember there was a war, almost a, a big issue going on between Canada and America because there was so much pollution that when the rain fell it was polluting the rivers that has been dealt with basically substantially uh, so I think it has to be a responsible use of resources but I am not for one that believes that you let people suffer in order uh, to forego using your resources to, to feed your people and to meet the needs of the people but there needs to be some measure of control Pastor, we have a caller from the island of Anguilla. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly, please. Hello, good night to you, and um, this is Brother Ross. Let me say um, thanks for your doing the good work. Um, I mean, so many of these um, programs that you're having, I'm saying, <laughs> I mean, um, this need to be all throughout all the Caribbean. Let me just say something about as a teacher. Um, I've seen um, so much new age stuff in the curriculum, <laughs> curriculum material yeah. from way back in the 1990s. Wow. It, a lot of it is in psychology and all teachers yeah. to be trained, you have to enter um, the, these programs where you're going to get, you know, um, Abraham Maslow, Sigmund yeah. Freud yeah. and all these guys um, coming at you, and that is one of the things that turned me off from um, teacher, well, secular teacher, teachers' colleges. Yeah. And um, also we are seeing it um, infiltrating the church, the church as well. And um, the tragedy is that, sadly, many Christians, um, they get wrapped up in some of this training and somehow I feel sometimes that when teachers go to um, colleges and universities is as if they feel that um, 
they are mandated to defend the university or college. Yeah. Even if <laughs> what they learned was wrong. I went to Teachers College in St. Kitts in 1987 and 89, and um, even from there I could see a lot of what was being taught was anti-biblical. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I, I totally rejected it. And I've been warning teachers about it here in Angola. I don't know how many really listen to me, but I've been warning them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, one, one of the things, though, is that the New Age movement, the philosophy is all over. Yes. It, it's in everything. Um, one of the things that, you know, um, we have the University of the West Indies and, and CXC as if they are these sacred cows. But my description of them more is like the horse of, you know, the horse of Troy? Yes. I, I remember that. Because, notice something, we have this big push now with um, Hillary Beckles and these guys talking about reparations for slavery. Yes. But the strange thing, I mean, when you get to the bottom of this, you realize that these guys really want to, they really want to get at two countries, is the United States and primarily England. And when you check these guys' ideology, they're Marxists, most of them. Um, it is not because of really of, of slavery, it is really because those two countries gave black people the Bible. Oh. That's what I'm seeing. Now, to, to back up what I'm saying, the University of the Western is and CXC, they teach evolution, don't they? To my knowledge, that's my, my son yes, was... They do. Yeah, right. Yeah. So, now look at you. Charles Darwin, if you go in the CXC biology book, they tell you the name of his book is The Original Pieces. That's not so. It's on the original species by means of natural selection or the, or the struggle of the favored races, races yeah, yeah. in their struggle for life. Yeah. How come they don't mention that to the students? Because yeah. obviously, well, that's politically incorrect. Yeah. And um, so much of evolution hmm. um, is, is racist. In fact, Charles Darwin in another book, Descent of Man, mm -hmm. he said that he hoped in less than centuries. He wrote this 1871, so he hoped by 20, before 2071 come about, there'd be no Negroes or Aborigines on the earth because we are too close to the monkeys, you see. Well. <laughs> and that's the man being honored by these hypocrites at the University of the West Indies and CXC, and at the same time they're talking about reparations. Yeah. I, I thank you for your observation. You know, I've often said this. I can never understood why any black person would push evolution, because if you believe in evolution, you cannot decry history, because it has to do with the survival of the fittest. Right. So how do you decry history then? Uh, the other thing is the, the this family planning, the person that started the family planning movement. Margaret Sanger. Yeah, she was a, a strong racist. And That's been, right. Yeah, but yet they pushed these things. And again, come back to the whole, I mean, I, I understand it's a conspiracy. Look, the, the who gets hurt worse in this abortion thing? It's the black people in America. That's right. So they, they're slaughtering them, and yet they're, and I can't figure out why um, they keep pushing this thing without understanding the genocide that is committed. Look, I just said 51 million babies have been aborted in America since the 1970s. Now think about that for just a moment. That's staggering. 
But I think you're, you're right in connection. I'm not too sure about Beckles' motives, et cetera, et cetera. I really don't know his motive. But um, I do agree with you that um, within our, our system, whether it be at the UWI, whether it be within the, our schools, that the fountainhead of all of this poison that is coming through the system, it starts there at the educational centers and it filters down and it comes from the universities into our schools. It's a cycle, a real cycle. That's why there's a need for Christian schools, and that is why it is also, I wish there was a Christian university somewhere in the Caribbean, but clearly there's a need for Christian schools. I see war down the, uh, over time. I see that the government want to impose uh, certain things within the Christian school that the Christian school will not tolerate. For example, I see very shortly within the early childhood education I see that they'll be introducing the idea of what a family is like, and it will not be the nuclear family or the normal traditional family. It'll be right. teaching kids from a very early age about two two, peop, two men being mom and dad. That will not enter the Christian school, at least not the Christian school that we're part of. It right. doesn't matter what government does to coerce us to teach that. Uh, so I see, I really see some problems coming down the line and um, we need to prepare ourselves and arm ourselves to be willing to take the consequences when we take a stand, even if it meant jail time for us. Uh, I can't see it otherwise. I, I think there's going to be a massive clash in the future between well, right. the true church and the, the, mm -hmm. the, the government policies. Well, right now in Angola, um, in the British Parliament, the, the, um, I think the House of, of Lords, um, they recommended that the... Um, you know, the overseas territories, the British government um, tell them they have to legalize homosexual marriage and the pastors have to marry these people. And also the schools must teach it too, and I think transgender is a, is a part of it. So there is, there is a big clash coming. Well, we have to decide if we are going to allow uh, uh, some person or some group that is outside our, our domain this is a new form of slavery, basically. This is a new form of intellectual yep. control. And whether we have the capacity to withstand that, the problem we have in the Caribbean is that a lot of it we link to aid and grants. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And if we don't do certain things, because they have a social agenda that yeah. they're trying to impose on these countries. Mm -hmm. Now, they can't do it in Africa. I, I've mentioned before that uh, when Obama went to Africa promoting it, the Africans rebuffed him by telling him, we'll eat grass before we do what you want. But the Africans could survive because they've got vast resources, land masses, etc. In the Caribbean, the problem that we're going to face is whether our politicians have the guts to take a stand on these moral issues. And I haven't seen any indication um, as yet that uh, the politicians have any, any capacity to resist this global agenda and resist these external powers imposing upon us a social agenda that we, we that's against our very thinking, our very nature. Only one person in the Caribbean so far I have great admiration for that um, took a stand on this matter, and that is the current uh, Attorney General in Antigua called uh, Cutie Benjamin. Okay. I thought he was a very bold man. He, I, have a, I have a clip where uh, when the homosexual agenda was being pushed he said very boldly in the paper, not in this country, not under my watch. That's I thought right. he would have lost his job. 
I really thought he would have lost his job, but he took a very firm stand against homosexuality. And I, I, I admire the fact that he took that brave stand. I still got the clip somewhere because I, I'm going to use it sometime in the future. Okay, that's good. But I thought it was marvelous that the Attorney General would take a stand of that uh, so forceful. Yeah, that's, that's good to hear that for real. He did. He did. I mean, I was amazed. I really thought that within a short space of time, it would have had a new Attorney General. Uh-huh. But um, tremendous courage to come out and make that kind of a bold statement, knowing the amount of clout that these people have. They have tremendous clout, yeah, tremendous I, I, power. I realize that. Yeah, yeah. Look, thanks for calling, man. I appreciate that. God bless you. Okay. God bless you, too. Keep up the good work. Thank you, sir. God bless. Okay. Time across the Eastern Caribbean is 8.30. We've got... 30 minutes left in the program. Still time for you to send in your question or call in with your question. You can call and be put live on the air. one 462 7420 Thank you to the gentleman who called from Anguilla. If you don't want to call and be put live on the air, that's fine. You can send your question via WhatsApp or text. Send it to one 268 7821454 Now the purpose of this program is to answer your questions and to teach from the Bible what is truth. But we need to know what your questions are. So if you have a specific topic that you would like covered, uh we won't even necessarily say that you suggested it. If you just want to send it via WhatsApp or text and we will study up and prepare that topic for a future episode of That's Truth. You're listening to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse, broadcasting from the island of Antigua, 1160 kilohertz AM, 92.3 megahertz FM, and online at www.radiolighthouse.org. You can also join us on Facebook Live. Just go to the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse Facebook page and look at the news feed. You'll find the live video. Pastor Murphy, uh, back to the doctrines of the new, what the New Age movement teaches about key doctrines, uh, biblical doctrines. Uh, last week, as we were finishing out the program, I asked you, is there need for salvation in the New Age worldview? Well, the New Age, uh, in terms of salvation, uh, remember that they see man as good and man as divine. The problem with man is man's ignorance. Uh, He needs to be enlightened. Uh, So there's no real concept of salvation in terms of man needing forgiveness and pardon and need to be restored to relationship with God. That doesn't exist uh, because God is not a personal God. He's an impersonal force. An impersonal force does not impose morality on humankind. Therefore, there's no need for any kind of repentance. So, so far as their salvation is concerned, um, it's salvation of a spiritual nature. And again, it is when you get out of your normal um, uh, mind in terms of your your reason and your logic and your consciousness. consciousness. The whole idea is to merge with this higher consciousness. So you have to come to the point, when you come to the point when you realize that you're God, that is your salvation. You will not be hindered now by all of these uh, issues that hold you back, your, your concept of guilt and and uh, sin and, and, and so on. So you have no limitations. So your goal now is to be so enlightened to the point where you realize that you are now God 
And when you begin to God, you can speak reality. By the way, the, the, the calling before talk about New Age movement now entering into the church, it is there. The idea that you can name it and claim it, yeah, and that you can you can visualize what you want. And you, if you want this car, you can actually see this car. And the fact that you can see this car and visualize this car, this car can become yours because you can see it and you can create your own reality. That's the power that you have. That's a new age. That's teaching. a new age concept that has entered into the church. That's why people like the, the Word of Faith movement, mm -hmm. that you can speak words and create your reality. And that's why they tell you, for example, you've got to be careful what words you say. Because if you use bad terms, that's bad, but it'll have bad effects. If you use good terms, it'll have good effects. So you, you, your words, what you, your little words, create the reality around you. This is part of the New Age movement. And it is subtly into the church. But the problem is, because a man wears a, 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 a gong, a, a collar, as a pastor, and he preaches, they don't even understand where this thing is coming from. Um, so this visualization uh, that you hear within the church and name it and claim it, this is New Age concepts that have infiltrated the church. You can this guy um, positive thinking and affirmation. Uh, Joel Osteen? Uh, uh, no, um, Schuler, Robert Schuler uh, of the Crystal Cathedral. Again, this idea of uh, affirming. I affirm today that I'm a good man, that I'm righteous. That is not biblical. That actually came out of the New Age movement. They've got something called affirmation. Believe that you're God. Say that you're God. Say that you are a, um, a great creature. Keep affirming yourself. So when you hear this word affirmation being used again and again, even in, in schools, this concept, it's a New Age concept that was born in the New Age and now has begun to infiltrate not only church, but the educational system as well. So... But um, there's no salvation in terms of how we see it, that man needs to be forgiven for sins and restored to relationship with God so that he's going to heaven. Is there sin? There's no sin for them. As right. a matter of fact, that's the confusion. If everything is one and one is everything, there's a dark side to this force and a good side. It's like Star Wars. The, the power that is yes. there, there's a, a bright side, there's a dark side. It's all part of one. We must be so enlightened that we begin to accept this. See, there's a confusion here. Uh, don't confuse. Everything is good. Everything is. So it's, it's part of the, how do you intellectually grapple with this? It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But yet, your, my problem is that I am not enlightened enough to understand there's no real distinction between good and evil. They're all part of one. See, when I reach that stage, I'm enlightened and now I'm now thinking like God. See, <laughs> that is why for many years in, in India, you had the lower caste, the pariahs, as it were, and you had other classes and you couldn't stoop to help the lower class. Why? Because you're in that lower class because you are your karma. You came back in that lower class, so I can't help you to get out of that. You must go through that cycle for yourself. If I help you get up, you come back in and you're back down there again. So I must let you suffer. I must not try to help you because that is your karma. That is where India was. And uh, when Christianity came, it helped to enlighten, to create more compassion uh, among the lower class, etc. What about heaven and hell? Well, heaven is what you make 
down here. Okay. And depending on your karma, if you live good, no, and you do the right things, when you're reborn, you'll have a higher karma, so therefore you'll come back in a better life. So you could create either your heaven or your hell down here. It all depends on how you live. If you are a terrible person, when you come back in, you come back, recycle, you come back uh, in a, a bad situation. So you redeem yourself depending on your works and your efforts and your merits. It's a form of merit-based redemption, and it has to do with karma and reincarnation. So eventually, as you get better and better, you work into a higher cycle, higher cycle, higher cycle. So you might be a dog today. Next time you're better than a, a nice dog, you might come back as a sheep. Then you might come back as a man, a bad man, a good man. So you keep evolving until you become better and better and better until finally you mesh ultimately with this higher consciousness. So you can eventually get good enough that you break out of that cycle. You're not perpetually stuck for all eternity. No. Okay. Everybody, everybody's going to be finally redeemed. They believe in what is called universalism. Everybody will be finally redeemed. But it's self-redemption. It's auto-redemption. I am going to redeem myself depending on my efforts and my work and whatever I do down here. It's the karma aspect and the the, uh, the incarnate, reincarnation that has entered the New Age movement, is born out of the Eastern religions. It's a prominent part of uh, these these religions. Are there any other doctrines that you'd like to draw to our attention? Well, um, Let's talk about the atonement. I want to read what they say about the atonement. Okay. Uh, I want to. Um, I have several extracts here from their writings, and I, I want to quote directly. This is what they said: Jesus was not punished because of our sin. God does not believe in retribution. He does what not. What is re- reckon or what is reincarnation then? Let's <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I come back to that. Right? God does not believe in, in retribution. He does not hold our evil or deeds against us. Sacrifice is a a notion totally unknown to God. Sacrifice in any way is a violation of God's injunction that we be merciful, even as God in heaven is merciful. The crucifixion has only been a teaching teaching value. There was really uh, this is this is really the true crucifixion. It was not so much hanging Jesus on the physical cross. But it was the entry of the cosmic Christ into the physical, etheric, mental, and emotional energy patterns of the planetary body itself. Now tell me what that says. <laughs> I'm reading it several times. and it, Again, it's the language of confusion, this gibbledygook, but it sounds so impressive to somebody who maybe uh, wants something more sophisticated. And they have put this, but basically what it's saying is this. When Christ was crucified, what really happened is that it allowed the higher conscious Christ to come onto the living Christ and now mesh into the world. Now, does that make sense to you? Does it make sense to me? It makes absolute sense because I think within the biblical framework. But remember, your intellect is a barrier to you reaching this higher state of consciousness, so it doesn't have to make sense. And that is where the confusion comes in. Pastor, we have Nathan calling from Nevis. Thank you for calling, and go ahead quickly with your question, please. Yes, good evening. Good evening, Nathan. How are you doing? I'm not going to bother. I I have a question on the book of Revelation. I had a pastor. He is not my pastor anymore. He, he has moved on to another congregation. Uh-huh. But he says... The book of Revelation is not written in chronological order. Uh-huh. John only write down as he could remember what he, he saw. 
Okay. So it's not written in the other one, two, three, four, second, third, fourth. Mm -hmm. So you're asking me what my view on that? What's your view, yeah? Well, if you study the book of Revelation, it's very fairly chronological, although there's some overlapping in some past. If you read it very, look, you've got the trumpet judgment, you've got the bowl judgment, um, you've got the... Um, the the vile judgment as well. The very uh, seven 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 seven. In the first um, chapter, you got John introducing um, the circumstances under which he got this revelation. You have a, a magnificent picture of Christ, and uh, after that, could I continue? Uh, yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, you got a magnificent picture of Christ, uh, the glorified Christ, and then you got his message to the churches, chapters two and three to seven churches. After that, you've got the the church taken up, and then you've got John have a scene in heaven where Christ reclaims the title to planet Earth, and then following that, in the chapter 6 and following, you've got all these judgments. So in, 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 as far as I am concerned, John presents a very logical um, order in which these events will take place. So I find it difficult that your pastor would um, would say that. Uh, the problem with a lot of um, men with the cloth is that a lot of them really don't spend time studying the Word. Uh, they might go on the internet and get a sermon, or they might do something, but they don't spend enough time studying the Word. And they're not systematic in the presentation of the Word either. And what I mean by that is that they don't do an uh, uh, um, expository study of Scripture. And consequently, um, that is where I think uh, they don't follow the logic of Scripture and don't understand the order in which the books are written. But the epistle, I mean, the uh, book of Revelation, um, it'd be hard-pressed for anybody to say to me that it's not uh, an orderly, systematic presentation. But as I point out to you, there is some level of overlapping when it comes to the different judgments, etc., etc. John would mention something, and then he will say something that, that fills in a parenthesis. Then he will, then he'll have a parenthesis, he'll fill in gaps in the uh, what he's thought before. So I, I believe that the Book of Revelation is fairly logical in its presentation, and I would recommend if you want a good book to help you in that matter is John Walbert's book on Revelation. I think you'll find that to be a very profound book, and you'll find that he does a very logical presentation of it. Well, uh, John Walbert, if you go on Google and uh, look for Revelation, um, you will find that that's uh, one of the good books that would help you see the logical order in which it's presented. I believe Nathan is back on the line. Uh, did that answer your question? Well, I got the last part of oh. the, uh, oh. the answer. <laughs> now, I, I have a book on the book of Revelation from the Jehovah's Witnesses. Oh, may I suggest to you to take that and put it somewhere else? Put it in file 13. <laughs> <laughs> That's not going to help you. There are no person more group more confused than the Jehovah's Witness, and especially when it comes to prophecy, they have got the slightest idea about biblical prophecy. They claim that the 144,000, uh, they claim there's no hell. Uh, I would suggest to you that you need a, a book that would help you uh, better than that, and I suggested that John Walbert's book on the book of Revelation, you should be able to get it on the internet. That would be a book I would strongly recommend. There's one by Serban Kurban as well. He has one that is very good. He's a um, an Arab convert, and he wrote the book on Revelation Visualized. Um, Tim LaHaye has one on Revelation as well that might be worth reading. And then um, Worsby, 
in his B series, he has one in Revelation, which is a, a much uh, more practical. It's not as exhaustive as you will find in John Walford. But those are the books I would I would recommend at this point in time. And thank you very much for your call, Nathan. I used to study with the Jehovah Witness, son. He almost came into my mind not to study the Bible at all because of the thing they say. Yeah, well, I am glad. Because you read the Bible and then listen to them. They, they, are, they are saying something just distinctly different to what the Bible says. Yeah, well, I'm glad that you had the wisdom to pick that up because a lot of people, don't, you know, just totally. The problem today is that people suspend their mind. Uh, when it comes to anything to do with the Bible, they don't check what the pastor says. They don't read books on these matters. Uh, to my mind, uh, in every other area, they seem to be deeply concerned. But when it comes to Scripture, they've just put their minds in neutral and accept anything that they're taught. And that is not the biblical model. The Berean model is the one that we should follow in the book of Acts. That even when the Apostle Paul went there and Paul was preaching, it said that they searched the scripture to discover if what Paul was saying was true. Compare scripture with scripture. But I'm glad you're much wiser than most people. And I would recommend that you put that book aside and try to get one of those evangelical books that uh, I think would help you understand the book of Revelation much more clearly. Nathan, thank you. Yes, have a good night. Thanks for calling. Uh, Pastor, we've got just over 10 minutes. We've got 12 minutes left in the program. Uh, the doctrines, anything else quickly before we move on to our our wrapping up thoughts on the New Age movement? Well, um, if there's no sin, it means there's no Satan. Okay. So, again, they deny the doctrine of Satan. And uh, Satan becomes the dark side of the force. Like in George Lucas' Star, Star Wars, basically, he is a uh, what is called a mighty planetary consciousness, but he's just the dark side of the of the of the other side. So, uh, the doctrine of Satan is gone. The doctrine of God is gone. The doctrine of Christ is gone. The doctrine of Thomas is gone. Nothing is left. Nothing is left. All you've got is um, uh, a movement that is using terms, uh, but have no real biblical content, and they're totally misleading to those who are following this movement. I want to sum up our time with the New Age movement. We're now three weeks we've been talking about this. And someone asked a very good question last week. How do we deal with someone who's involved in the New Age movement? How do we witness to them? Let's go back and spend some more time on that topic. Yeah. Well, I would I would recommend that if you're going to deal with a person, uh, New Age movement, uh, the preliminary things are basic. You you have to, I would suggest that you understand that prayer has to be part of it. These people didn't get into this situation um, overnight. They have been brought into this system, whether by form of deception or by reading or by some influence. And you should be praying that God would open the minds and the hearts of those people that you're dealing with. The other thing is compassion. You're dealing with people that are in darkness, uh, I know it's easy to pontificate because you know the truth and uh, you can be so harsh in dealing with these people in their ignorance and being misled, but you should have that aspect of compassion. The other thing I would suggest to you that when dealing with them, try to get the definition of terminology when you're talking with them. When they talk about God or they talk about um, redemption or talking about uh, hell or talking about heaven uh, or, or salvation, make sure that you have a clear understanding of what they're dealing with. And then try to ask questions. Rather than trying to teach them, try to pull out from them what they really believe 
uh, and uh, because people are very defensive when you try to be the the scholar or, or be the person that is giving direct knowledge to them. It's better to try to pull questions out of them, ask them questions to see, especially lead them down the road where they can see that this doesn't make any sense. But rather than tell them it doesn't make any sense, ask the kind of question that would lead them to the conclusion that this doesn't follow, this doesn't, the logic of this is, is, is just not functioning. And then um, read the word when you're dealing with them. Don't just quote scripture. See if you can get them to actually read scripture while you're dealing with them, uh, so that because remember the, the word is like a sword. Let them fall in the sword, uh, and, and don't try to use just your wisdom when you when you're dealing with that. And then study the subject of the New Age movement. If you're going to talk to a New Age person, uh, you've got to understand the concepts and the beliefs, uh, so that when you're dealing with them, you can actually. Um, maybe deal with one subject at a time rather than try to run around in circles. Uh, and then always try to get their definition of Jesus. Because remember that he's an essential figure of all human history. All history before him uh, was leading up to him. All history after him is leading back to his second coming. And get some clarification of who this Jesus is. Uh, uh, in the the other thing I think that would help you is um, because they do not believe in absolute, show them the inconsistency of relativism. Uh, um, uh, for example, Walter Martin, one of his books, talk about if everybody's morality is their own, how can you ever say Hitler was wrong? Because if Hitler believed what he was doing was true, and everybody make up their own truth, Nobody can tell anybody they're doing wrong. That's I mean, pretty powerful. Yeah, the the logic of that, right, is is, is uh, it clearly uh, when you think this one through, you realize that that. What about the? I just saw two murders in America where a jogger was pursued and was murdered by a child, a, a man, and then uh, a lady uh, who was going to go to school, uh, going to law school, she asked for a. A taxi to pick her up, and some guy drive by. She thought it was a taxi. Got in. He just got murdered. I mean, how do you tell that guy he's wrong? If he believed that rape is right, and he should take, uh, you know, who if 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 right is 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 uh, what 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 I want to be right. Um, we are in a position now where we can't really judge anybody or punish anybody, basically because your truth is your truth, my truth is my truth. The, that that sounds good philosophically, but it cannot be lived out in practical terms in, in human life. So that really is one of the things that you can use. And then um, try to show as much as possible the reliability of the scriptures. In other words, that uh, you might have to prove why we believe the Bible is the Bible, go back to Bible prophecy, go back to Bible miracles, go back to archaeological evidence to prove that this book is God's book. Because you need to have, ultimately, some basis for arguing. There must be some standard, but not a standard. is just going around in circles. And then uh, provide any books or tapes or CDs that on the New Age movement, maybe Walter Martin might have some, or some other person who is very, very proficient in that area, who studied deeply in that, recommend that that person would do that. And above all, always share the gospel. Always share the gospel. You can, t uh, when you're talking with them, you say, listen, I, I, you've given me a chance to talk. I want to share the gospel with you and tell exactly what the Bible teaches. Can you remind me what the gospel is? Oh, of course. The gospel is about Christ coming today. Uh, on the behalf of uh, man's sin, 
uh, so that man might be restored with God. He died a substitutionary death on, on, the, on, on his part, and because of his death on the cross, God is able to forgive us our sins. But not only that, God is able to take his righteousness and impute it to our account so that we stand righteous before God and become justified before God and declared not guilty before God. So the gospel is simply the death, burial, and the resurrection of Christ, and that was part of the propitiatory sacrifice that he made on the cross in respect to human sin so that man might be pardoned and forgiven and made righteous uh, by God. But Nathan, let me just uh, perhaps uh, try to close off the next few minutes by by uh, reminding the believers who might be listening of the resources that we have uh, in dealing with not only these cultic groups uh, but dealing with every major issue we might face in society, God has given us some powerful resources that we have that we can use. And I just want to mention these. The first one, of course, I mentioned just a moment, that's the power of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for the power of God unto salvation. Never, ever forget that the gospel that save you and save me can save those persons. Never ever feel that that person is beyond redemption because of the power of the gospel. Then we have the power of the Holy Spirit. Remind ourselves that our duty is to share the glad tidings, uh, be a witness and a testimony, and allow the Holy Spirit to have a means of dealing with Then we have the power of the Word, which is the sword of the Spirit. We've got to use the Word. But let us also remember that we've got the power of prayer, that we can access God and ask God. We have also the power of the priesthood of Christ, who stands before God interceding for the believer. We also have the power of the partnership of believers who could come alongside a person who is trying to find his way to God and there be a mentor and a help in that respect. And also we got the part, the power of the pardon of sin. God has given us that. We have a message to people who are going through guilt, who have done some terrible things in life and who may be so overwhelmed not believing there's any hope for them. We got the gospel of the pardon of Christ. And then we got a promise for the future. No matter how dark that person's experience may be, no matter how difficulties they may be changing, in terms of the future, there is no other faith that can offer a future like we've got. The promise of the Lord's return and the promise that He will rapture us and take us to be with Him. In other words, we can give that person hope and we can give that person a future. And finally, we have the protection of the church. And what I mean by that, when a person becomes leaves the kingdom of darkness, comes into the kingdom of light, and enters the church of Jesus Christ and become part of the member of the church. Uh, there is the protective power of the church, surrounded by God. The Bible says that the Lord, the angel of God, surrounded around those, uh, encamped around those that fear him. Does that mean that nothing, no physical harm will ever come to a Christian? No, it doesn't mean that, because uh, even though we are believers, we are all ears to the, 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 the problems of the physical life. We're all going to die at some point in time. Becoming a Christian doesn't, doesn't stop me from dying. Because I become a Christian doesn't mean I'm going to have physical illness. Remember, uh, Paul had to leave Timothy in a sick condition. He had to leave Epaphroditus in a sick condition. There are times when God will heal, but God doesn't heal in every case. But what it offers is spiritual protection. right? Uh, and that is what the church offers as well, that you've got this protective uh, power that uh, protects God's people uh, through His divine promise. 
So we've got the power of the gospel, you've got the power of the Holy Spirit, you've got the power of the word, you've got the uh, priesthood of Christ, you've got the power of prayer, you've got the power of the pardoning uh, power of God, you've got the, the power of the partnership of believers, you've got the promise of the future, and you've got the protection that God offers within the church. When you take all of these things, uh, we have the capacity and the resources to meet the need. I cannot think of any problem a person would have that these nine things will not in some way help that person. Whether that person be struggling with an illness, whether that person be struggling with a guilt complex, whether that person be studying with not too sure about the future. Uh, I'm saying when we look at the resources we have, we need to understand that we could give hope to this world that is becoming very, very dark. And rather than turning to these um, false teachings, uh, the church needs to come back to believe that God has endowed it with resources to help men and to lead men to Jesus Christ. As you mentioned the power of the Holy Spirit, the verse came to mind. Uh, I believe it was Peter that was standing before the Sanhedrin, before the prophets mm -hmm. or uh, Pharisees, and uh, the Holy Spirit brought uh, things to his mind, uh, and he preached the gospel. I'm I can't remember the verse. It's maybe in Acts, but uh, it might be a an epistle that Paul wrote saying that the Holy Spirit will bring things to yeah. your mind. Well, our Lord promised that in the, in the okay. gospel as well. He said, listen, when you stand before councils and courts, yeah. Don't worry about what you're going to say. At that moment, the Spirit of God will tell you exactly what to say. And that is where, uh, again, you're exactly right. We come into a situation and uh, maybe we, we, we almost puzzle as to what. The voice of the Spirit speaks to us. He guides us to His Word and we're able to give some counsel, some wisdom to that person we're dealing with. And I can think of a couple of instances where I was witnessing to someone and they asked a question and the Holy Spirit brought some verses to my mind that I hadn't thought about recently, but I was able to answer them from Scripture. But that's a very, all of those things are powerful, but that's very powerful. Be sure that you join us again next week. Next week, we're going to be covering a very practical topic, a topic that was suggested by one of the listeners, and that topic is how to study the Bible and interpret it properly. So we will be discussing that next week here on That's Truth. Be encouraging others to tune in and listen to That's Truth on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. Have a good night. Thank you for joining us for today's program. We pray that the Holy Spirit uses the truths shared from God's Word to strengthen your faith. Now you've heard it. That's truth. Thanks for listening. Remember, you can hear more answers to life's questions on That's Truth, Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. on the Caribbean Radio Lighthouse. If you're in Antigua, you can listen at 92.3 MHz FM. If you're in the Caribbean, you can listen at 1160 kilohertz AM or listen online at www.radiolighthouse.org from anywhere in the world. Or you can subscribe to this podcast. Looking forward to having you join us next time.